do I want Mr. T's face to be the graphic of this five-week series during the holy <laughs> fast of Burton Lent? But then I felt like, you know what, I feel like I might get a call from somebody if I kind of do that. So we decided to go with something a little bit more elementary of how not to be a fool. But honestly, when we were deciding how to do this series, uh, we, I, honestly, Mr. T was the only person that came to mind when he kept on saying, I pity the fool, I pity the fool, Mr. T. But anyway, we chose this kind of more elementary graphic instead of how not to be a fool. Because I know that you want to be smarter. I know you want to make better life decisions. I know you want to attain more wisdom. Because honestly, regardless of your worldview, where you might be as far as who Jesus is to you, and it's totally fine. If, if you're kind of questioning things or, or, or take a step back, that's totally fine. But one thing we all have in common is that we can look back at certain life decisions in which we regret, and we look back and we ask ourselves, how on earth did I make that decision? How come no one opened my eyes? How was I so blinded? So we can all relate to that reality as far as making poor decisions. But what we talked about in part one, this is part two of our series of how not to be a fool, is that better, like asking questions leads me to make better decisions. The more questions I ask, the better chance I have of making better decisions. But our reflex when it comes to asking ourselves questions we ask ourselves questions is, does this make me feel good? Is this good for me? Am I hurting anybody? And then if, I, if, if all those are good to go, then I go ahead and make decisions. And then naturally, most of the time, it leads to regret because the rubric of questions that I followed was basically what's in it for me, what's best for me. And I, th I, I, I put uh, some things that we highlighted in, in part one was personal decisions have public outcomes. Decisions in which you and I make, which what seems personal, and which subconsciously we think, this has nothing to do with anybody else, this is just me, it's no big deal, has public outcomes. And our private decisions, and, and I'm sorry if this touches a soft spot, has generational impacts. The private decisions in which we make has a public outcome, and it has generational impacts, in which we might not see, maybe in our age, but it has, a general, it has an impact. Where you might be, for, for, for good or bad, is a product of someone else making decisions, right? And, and, and you are the root of every decision you have made. Of course, there's a reflex within us to blame my childhood, blame my mom, blame my spouse, you, so forth, and, and rightfully so, and you might have every right. But there is a, a reflex to wanna blame others, but a common thread between all our poor decisions in which we've all made, again, I don't wanna negate the other factors, a, a common factor between all our poor decisions is you. Is me. But today's part two. You have deceived yourself, if I use the word that we talked about in the liturgy today. You have deceived yourself into making every poor decision. You have deceived yourself. You have convinced yourself of every poor decision. Within all of us, there's like this little car salesperson inside of all of us that's selling a point to us. Like, and, and, become, and, and we justify it, we build a narrative, of why I should do this, why I should buy this, why I should act this way, why I should respond this way. We begin to build a narrative and we begin to justify our actions by building a narrative because of that little car salesperson within all of us. So, wisdom is a big topic, and I get it, and I know that's why we're talking about it over five weeks. But regardless of where you might stand right now as far as understanding Jesus or understanding wisdom altogether. It's totally fine. Here's something we all can relate to. Here's the words of wisdom from, uh, from a book of wisdom coming from scripture. The prudent see danger and take refuge, 
but the simple keep going and pay the penalty, right? This is from Wisdom of Solomon, one of the wisest guys on planet Earth. The prudent see danger and take refuge. You know what a prudent person is? It's not like a common word. You know what a prudent person is? A prudent person understands the decisions they make today affect tomorrow. A prudent person understands. They, they're anti-YOLO. You only live once. They're anti that, right? They understand the decisions I make today affect tomorrow. A prudent person understands that they are a product of decisions they made yesterday, and here's the fruit of it, good or bad fruit, and they understand the decisions they make today impact tomorrow. That's a prudent person. A prudent person understands how everything is threaded and connected together. Nothing is in isolation. Nothing is in isolation because naturally everything will come to the surface. Things will naturally manifest itself in a matter of time. That's a prudent person. But the opposite of a prudent person, which I guess is a fool, is, is no one's going to find out, I got this. We begin to convince ourselves, that's just between me, like I, I, I'm not hurting anybody. I, I'm able to convince myself this is okay. I'm able to get away with this without anyone ever knowing. That's the opposite of a prudent person. The prudent see danger and take refuge. A prudent person gets it. If I don't stop this habit now, it will get the best of my marriage. If I don't stop this now, it will kill me. It, it will impact my physical health. That's a prudent person. They understand the decisions today impact tomorrow. The prudent see danger and they take refuge. They, they, they say, I, I got to stop this. I, I, need, I need to get help. This has to stop right now. A prudent sees danger and takes refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. The simple person says, you know, you know I only live once. And, you know, it's, I, I got to go with the flow. And, you know, I got to learn from my mistakes. I got to learn from my mistakes. So it's okay for me to make that mistake. It's good. I, I, this is how I'll grow. This is how I'll gain wisdom. Let me make a poor decision. Let me deal with the consequences. And then I'll learn from my mistakes. That's a simple person. And they really, they shoot themselves in the foot. So here is our kind of, you know, principle that we're moving forward for talk two here. Deception. Deception is the beginning of foolishness. Deception is the beginning of foolishness. We talked about it last week, and I get it if you're not fully bought into the whole point of that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The fear of God, reverence toward God, is the beginning of wisdom. But uh, totally fine if you're not fully invested into that principle just yet. But we can all agree on this. Deception is the beginning of foolishness. Deception is the beginning of foolishness. No one will tell you to do wrong X. Most, most people will not tell you, you should do X, Y, Z, which you know is immoral, is unethical, is wrong. There's something inside of you that pricks your conscience. You know it's wrong. There, no, no one will tell you directly you should do X, Y, Z. But it will begin with a deception. If you look at the beginning of world history, human history, there was this beautiful, immaculate union between the Holy Trinity and humanity. It was this beautiful dance, this beautiful sync but between, uh, between man and God. It was this beautiful intimacy between the two. But out of this intimacy, out of this love, out of this honor that God has given humanity was respect and honor for them to do as they wish, but they need to follow this one simple rule, not to partake of this one tree. But they wanted to abuse their freedom, Adam and Eve decided to partake of it, and now there is a break between God and man. There's a wedge that has been happened. There's a distortion that occurred. But how did that distortion come? No one came to Adam and Eve and says, do it. I dare you. Eat. No, did that one rule? Do it, do it, do it, do it. No one did that. But how did deception seep into humanity? Is Eve decided to entertain a conversation. How does deception get into you and me? What's the big deal of me watching this one thing? How about another episode of that podcast? How about me going out one more time with that person? It's, it's no big deal. I know we're not married, but what's the big deal? I, 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 it, it, it's just a simple lunch. It's just a simple whatever. It's just that one simple smoke. It's just the one simple drink. 
And we begin to deceive ourselves. And this is how darkness came in to humanity. What's to be just one time, right? And this is how deception seeped into humanity to convince Eve. Now that beautiful union of two being one, as far as Adam and Eve is concerned, and that beautiful union and intimacy, and being fully known as far as man and God is concerned, that has been shattered, that has been distorted. Why? Because of deception. Instead of words of unity, now Adam and Eve are saying, it's because of that woman you gave me. It's because of that, of that person. There's division that has occurred because deception has seeped in. Deception is the beginning of foolishness. Don't raise your hand to this, but I think we all have interacted with chronic liars before. Right? No, nobody look to the person to the left of them or to the right of them. But we've all been around, maybe we work with people who have a chronic habit of being just liars. Like, and, and, and you're just looking at them and you cannot believe a single thing coming out between their teeth because you just know it's a lie, right? They just struggle of just the, the, the lying over the smallest, dumbest things. They just lie all the time and you can't stand working with them. You can't stand being around them because they just have this toxic habit of being a chronic liar. But maybe you and me, blindly, we lie to ourselves. We fabricate a narrative we convince ourselves of poor decisions, but you, you, you wouldn't label yourself as a liar. I definitely would not label myself as a liar. Like, I, I want to paint myself as the best person. So why would I, I wouldn't label myself as a liar? But we might fall into the trap of labeling ourselves, or sorry, we might live a life of being liars, but we decorate it. We put some flowers around it, and we would not admit that we are liars ourselves. We are only able to move forward in wisdom if we acknowledge we might be lying to ourselves. We might be lying to ourselves. Deception gives birth to false narratives. Deception gives birth to false narratives. We may lie to ourselves, and then we begin to justify it and convince ourselves it's all right. Brutal honesty and introspection is what will lead you and me to wisdom. Brutal honesty and introspection, which honestly, they should make, this sense should make us uncomfortable as is. It should make us uncomfortable, but maybe, maybe, maybe this is just me, maybe this is not you. We look at this, that brutal honesty and introspection is what will lead to wisdom, and we say, yeah, I, I, I'm honest. Yeah, I introspect. I say it myself every now and then and, and kind of look inside myself, right? We, we, we think of that one time in which we did that. We begin to tell ourselves, yeah, I'm, I'm honest. Yeah, I do kind of look inside. And so right? We begin to convince ourselves that we are that. But brutal honesty, brutal, not, not honesty, but brutal honesty. You know what brutal honesty is? For those who have gone to Alcoholic Anonymous or Sexaholic Anonymous, any of these amazing programs, it is so powerful. It is so liberating. Because you know what's the first thing they need to do in order to move forward, in order to gain wisdom, in order to gain freedom? You know what's the very first thing they say? Hi, my name is Bill and I'm a sexaholic. My name is whatever and I'm... They, they, they brutal honesty. No deception. I am enslaved by sexual lust. I'm enslaved by drinking. And I label it right there. No deception. No, well, you know, sometimes I kind of, no. My name is X, and I struggle with Y. This is the most liberating, and, and this is, obviously it's a Christian-based thing, but it's speaking to the mind, because the Christian way of life, the fullness, the holistic approach to following Jesus is a mind, body, soul, it's, it's a holistic approach. So these amazing programs are so beautiful, because you just name it right there. It doesn't matter your status, it, it means nothing. Everyone's sitting in the same room, and you begin the same way. Brutal honesty. And introspection is what will lead to wisdom. Even if you look 
in the richness of this ancient Christian church, the Orthodox Church. So much of our language cheers us on to be brutally honest and introspective. This is why we say, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me, O God the Father. This is why we do a prostration, because I'm, I'm, I'm coming to be brutally honest. I, I'm not going to, I'm going to take that mask off. I'm going I'm, I'm to stop pretending. I'm weak. I'm sinful. I struggle. And, and the church is encouraging us. This ancient ascetic prayer called the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Boom, it's in my face. Yes, I need to see myself as being the child of the king, 100%. But I also need to see the other side. I'm weak, I'm a sinner. So I need to have both in front of me. Brutal honesty and introspection is what will lead to wisdom. Let me speak about America for a second. <clears throat> in American culture, in our culture, we surround ourselves with things that make us feel good. We surround ourselves with stuff that make us feel good. Smoke that, drink that, sex this, everything around us, do whatever it takes to make you feel good, right? This is, but maybe we don't say it in a blunt way because that sounds kind of like, you know, wrong. But really, if you look at everything, how everything is marketed, and every theology, American theology, of just doing what makes you feel good, it's a huge agenda of what attracts you and me because we want to feel good about ourselves, right? I mean, it's just innate. We want to feel good. So we want to try that. We want to do this. We want to go to the, because we want to feel good. But American culture, the very fabric of American culture is do whatever makes you feel good, right? Forget any other label that makes you feel bad. No, just do what makes you feel good. I'm extremely passionate about this because this is post-America culture. Sorry, post-Christian America culture. This is post-Christian American culture. I'm not making this up at all, believe me, and you can, you can fact-check me if you want. I want to share with you some famous, not famous, well, I guess it's just in there, social media graphics that seem appealing to us. Sometimes you have to follow your heart, no matter the consequences. Okay, I like that. Steve Jobs says this. Have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. It's nice. This is no, this is wrong. Mona, don't take a picture of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's <that's> okay. <laughs> okay. Listen, this is, here, this is great stuff here. Listen to your heart. It sounds like a song here, right? Listen to your heart. It abhors sacred things. It, ha it, it harbors sacred things. I'm sorry, not abhor. It, ha it harbors sacred things. Give from your heart abundance it brings. Pray through your heart. Guidance it need. Follow your heart. It knows how to lead. Thank you, whoever you are, Paul, Mark, Sutherland. This is nice, right? It's nice stuff. This is nice stuff. This stuff consumes us on social media. And at, at, at a far distance, it seems nice, right? If someone says you should follow your heart, sure, sounds nice. It's, it sounds nice, but I'm telling you, this is the beginning of deception. Do you know why? Do you know why this is the icon of relativity? Because whatever I want to do, I want to follow my heart. If I told you, you know, I feel like I need to follow my heart, so I need to separate from Sarah. I need to follow my heart. You can't tell me no. I'm following my heart. 
I'm listening to whoever this person is. I'm listening to Steve Jobs. I have to follow my heart. And I can begin to spiritualize this. And theology. I'm giving you an extreme example. But this is how it all begins. It begins with deception. It begins with this little seed that's planted. To follow your heart. We need to be aware of this. This fills our podcast. This fills our YouTube. This fills our social media tremendously. Because it's appealing. Come on. Wouldn't you want to pause and like this? Sometimes you have to follow your heart. Because you know why this pulls on, this pulls on a string? Because something within you, you want to do something. Right? But you have this tension. And it might be a theological tension. Of like, you know the ethic of God, but you feel, you come across this, you know what, maybe it's not a sin after all. Maybe I should omit that word altogether from my vocab. Maybe this is the desire that God has given me in my heart. And we begin to romanticize this, theologize this, and, 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 and begin to worship this idol. This is America. But maybe, again, I don't, I'm, this is just fact. I'm just, I'm just speaking history as far as where we are, as far as American pop culture is concerned. This is what consumes us. This is what makes us continue to click and move forward. But an ancient proverb, the heart is deceitful above all things, says Jeremiah the prophet. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You and I do things from our heart because I'm following my heart. I'm doing what I feel, I feel it's true in my heart. I'm following my heart, right? Every derivative of that. You do it. And then we look back and say, how did, I, how did I do this? How did I get myself in this position? When did this happen? I just woke up and I'm in this position. I followed my heart. I do what was true to myself. You begin to follow, follow this, this deception. <laughs> we don't need to look further. Here's, here's the remedy to life. The heart is deceitful. It's not a cultural thing. And parents of high schoolers and stuff like that, let me just say, like your, your kids are going to try to convince you it's a culture thing. You don't get it. You're from a different time. Th- this is timeless truth. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? <laughs> like here's Jeremiah saying, I'm not going to even follow my own heart. I'm appointed by God as a prophet. I'm not following my own heart because I can fall into deception. I want to holistically make the right decision by using my mind, my heart, and following God. But I don't want to drift toward just following my heart because this is where I can fall into deception. We need to acknowledge what is bad for ourselves. We need to acknowledge that maybe I shouldn't make life decisions just by determining what's good for me, what makes me feel good. Like, that's such a low bar. If I just make life decisions on what makes me feel good, and that, that, that will, I'm shooting myself in the foot. I mean, it sounds so naive just to say it, but honestly, we make wise decisions based off what makes me feel good. And we end up falling into regret. I mentioned last week that there are a collection of books in the original Christian Bible that are additional books that are books of wisdom, right? There's something called the Wisdom of Solomon. There's another book called the Book of Sirach. These are extra ancient Jewish books that are part of the Christian Orthodox Bible. Other Christian denominations and versions of Christianity might label these books differently. They might label it as being deuterocanonical books. Some might label it being apocryphal books. But for for the fullness of the ancient church, it's called the Bible, right? It's called the Bible. So I want to share with you a passage from one of these books of wisdom called the Book of Sirach. Book of Sirach, which is great, such a great, by the way, by the way, I'm going to share this, the, I don't, so I don't uh, distract you. The book of Sirach, there's so many things in it, it's my first time reading it, by the way, throughout this, line. there's so many things I don't have the guts to say out loud, because I, it might come off wrong, 
But it's in the book, like it's in the Bible. Like it's so many things it give me so much courage. Like it's so good. It's so good. So I encourage you. E- even if you're not fully bonded to the whole Jesus or church thing, I get it. Just find, just because you want to you be wiser. You want to be wiser. So why not tap into centuries old wisdom, which you, can, you and I can apply to our life. Look how good this stuff is. Protect yourself from a counselor. Okay, before you judge me, right? Counseling is good. Therapy is good. So, but stick with me, okay? This is the Bible. Protect yourself from a counselor. And know beforehand what is his interest. We need to remove ourselves. Like, like you see it on t-shirts, you know, therapy is cool. Oh, cool, I'm all for counseling. I'm all for therapy. But come on, are, are we just going to go with a blanket statement that therapy is cool? It's, it's almost a badge of honor. Uh, yeah, I go, to, I go to therapy. I go to counseling. Cool. What is that? Like, is, is the therapy telling you? What is, what is the therapist telling you? What's his worldview? What's her worldview? What direction? Is, because everyone can have a different code of ethics. So somebody can be a counselor. Cool. I mean, they're, they're certified in whatever. But what direction are they leading you to? Are they, giving, are they guiding you, cheering you on toward the remedy of life or the remedy toward deception? Assess their interest. Assess their interest. W- what are they using as a rubric to follow for medicine? Just as you might do that with a doctor. You're not just going to go to anyone who says, oh, yeah, I'm a doctor, you know, because I, I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night or whatever. I'm a, I'm a doctor. You're not just going to go by that. You want to see what, what law of medicine am I using that brings edification to the body. So in the same way, don't just go say, yeah, therapy is cool, counseling is good. Know beforehand what is his interest. This is so good. For he will take thought for himself, lest he cast his vote against you. And he'll say to you, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Your path is good. You, definitely. You need to follow your heart. If, you, if you, you, you've been married, for, you've given your shot for five years, it, it's best for you. Now, it's, you need to follow your heart. You've given yourself so much to, 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 to your spouse and to your kids, but it's time for you to move on. You have to do what's right for your heart. I'm saying this because there are personal stories of this narrative or therapists have told people this, and it kills me. It kills me, and I can't wake them up. They're too, they're too deep. They say, well, Father Nate, I, it's time for me. I, I've lived myself for my spouse. I've lived my, I, again, I know there can be traumatic events or justifiable for divorce. I'm not, hear me out. I get all that. But there are people who romanticize that I've given myself to this person for the past five years, but life is short. I don't want to look back and realize I just gave myself to someone else. I didn't live for myself, so it's time for me to move on. And, and they, they romanticize this. They, they, they spiritualize this so much. And they're so blinded. But their counselor told us they went to therapy. And they'll tell you, your path is good. Then he will stand aside to see what will happen to you. Then the therapist will look and see you rot because you have made decisions of what's good for you by following your heart. It's fine if you are not at a point to attach wisdom to God. Totally fine. You still have an interest to be wiser and to make better life decisions. But it's totally fine if you are not at a point where you're able to attach the two together. I get it. But here's a question which should make us to think at a deeper level. Am I being honest with myself? Your answer within 0.5 seconds is yes. Are you being honest with yourself for real? For real, are you being honest with yourself? You want to jump and say, I am being honest. Think through a wide array of questions. Am I being honest with myself of why, like, why did I really respond this way in that email? Why did I really text that person this way? Why did I really turn the other way when I saw that person? Why did I really move? 
Why did I really accept that job? Why did I really say that snarky comment? Am I being honest with myself for real? Am I being honest with myself for real? When, the more I abide in this question, the more I'm able to rip those layers of deceit that's within all of us because the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We get this. If you've lived more than one day, you and I can relate to this. But for us to embrace the question, am I being honest with myself? Because our brain likes to convert a want into a need. Come on, we've all been there. We convert a want into a need. I don't know if I have time, but I'll share this really quick. I love technology. I love technology. So, especially before preset, I used to love watching Apple events, like when they would release, you know, new tech and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I would sit there and I watch, I schedule my day around watching the Apple event. I like to watch it live, right? I, 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 it's cool. It's cool stuff. The, 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 the production and everything like that. So, you know, I'm watching my laptop and I have my phone here on the side, right? And I have the latest phone before the event, right? So I'm watching the event and they say, this is the smartest smartphone we have ever made. And I'm like, <laughs> but logic, I'm like, duh. It's not like they're going to make a dumber phone than the one that was released from last year. But I'm like, the, just the graphic and how they bring it, this is the smartest phone we have ever made. It is redesigned from the ground up. And they say all this, uh, awesome. And they say, well, you know, pre-order opens up this Friday, and I close my laptop and I watch. Then I look on my desk, and I look at this piece of junk sitting on my desk. Before, it worked perfectly fine. But after watching this, I convinced my wife to, to use my old phone so I can buy the new phone. <laughs> but this is the definition of deception. We begin to convince ourselves of why I need to, it becomes a want, and now it becomes a need. Our brain con converts a want into a need. And then confirmation bias plays in. Why did they convince myself? Well, yeah, I do need a new phone. It's going to help me in ministry. It's going to help me text and call people better, right? I, 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 confirmation bias. I convince, I convince myself, it's not for me. It's for God's, for, for God's kingdom. That's why I need a new phone, right? <laughs> confirmation bias. I begin to convince myself of reasons why. Why I need the new iPad. Why I need the new phone. We pray in this ancient prayer book titled the Agbeya. Every midday, sixth hour, the church tells us, there is no excuse nor justification because of my many sins. There is no excuse nor justification because of my many sins. The church just says, rip all that fabrication off. Rip all those, the, the, your cute story, rip all that off. There is no excuse nor justification because of my many sins. Imagine if that becomes embedded into our language. Every time I notice myself drifting this way, there is no excuse nor justification because of my many sins. No excuse nor justification. Am I being honest with myself? For real. Am I being honest with myself for real? This is why the richness of the language of the church, the church says, cleanse us from every blemish, every guile, every, every hypocrisy, every deceit. Lord, we're asking for God to cleanse us from all of that. Any, 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 any malice, any craftiness, we're, we're asking God to remove that because that one little speck of that can lead me, can give birth to deception and begin allowing me to drift away. This is why when, we, when we're praying, when I say, God, forgive my sins and that's it and, and glory be to God, no. Lord, Lord, forgive any sin I've committed knowingly or unknowingly. Any sin which I've committed out of, out, out of anguish of heart. Any sin I've committed of just being faint-heartedness, just me being weak. Any sin I've committed willingly or unwillingly. Lord, forgive me. Renew me. Restore me. The church is being so elaborate and so rich in our language for one purpose, to remove and to kill deception. Deception is what gave birth to darkness in this world. 
And you and I have the power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy. For today, if we can embrace the question, do I make decisions off emotions or off something else? And for us to embrace the question, am I being honest with myself? Because maybe there is something worse than just me making decisions on what makes me feel good. Maybe there's a bigger consequence. If me just following that rubric, what makes me feel good, what's good for me, maybe there's a bigger consequence if I just lay that as my rubric to follow. Maybe I should stop making decisions purely off of what's good for me, what makes me feel good, because the heart is deceitful above all. But for us to embrace the question, am I being honest with myself for real? We'll continue this for part three next week. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. We who are flawed, we who are weak, we who fall into the trap of sin. But Lord, you have come as our Redeemer, as you being the remedy to the ache of our soul. Lord, we come to you wanting to embrace the deception which creeps into our heart. Lord, we come to you wanting to push past the deception of American pop culture that convinces us and tries to sway us to just following what's best for us, what's in our heart. Lord, we know that darkness is trying to consume us and rip us apart. But Lord, we belong to you. We are your children, and you have given us the power to trample on this darkness. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.